He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, May 22, 2021 edition, episode 45. Unless you count our three specials, one of which we put out last week. We had two prior specials over winter break where we just played the songs of our troubadour, Dave Gunders. His segment is always special. This week, he comes up with another wonderful song, On and On Her Way, which fits with the main topic today, which remains the murder of Isabella Joy Thales on June 10, 2020 in Denver, Colorado. A beautiful Wednesday morning. You heard about it from her father, Joshua Thales, and now you are going to learn more about Bella and the mystery of the AK-47 from Bella's good friend. Bella's good friend from Cherry Creek High School, her DECA partner. They competed at state together. She loves Isabella. And you will hear from Gabrielle Desidju, who is a remarkable young lady with a bright future. Actually, if you add up our specials, when we formatted the mystery of the AK-47, we put it out in a special bonus podcast. And it was our 47th podcast, if you count the specials. It removes the part about who Isabella was, and we hear from the father and his concerns about the AK-47. The developments this week, we will go through it during the show, but thanks to Westward, Michael Roberts, and Jeremy Hohola and Channel 9, and KDBR, Fox 31 with Jeremy Hubbard. Thank you guys for investigating the AK-47 that was used to kill Bella and wound my client, Darian Simon. It belonged to Sergeant Dan Politican. We broke it last week on the podcast that he has now exited the Denver Police Department. Why? Well, we don't know the answer. How did the killer get the AK-47 and all that ammunition, allegedly from Politica? No idea, but we are going to try to find out Gabby Decidue wants the answers. After Gabby, we have to talk about what's going on in the world. This conflict between Israel and Hamas spilling over to the streets of America. I have Lori B. Regan in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. She's an attorney from back east, very involved in pro-Israel causes. We have a spirited conversation in a segment of Craig's Lawyer's Lounge unlike any other that I've ever participated in, and I'm the proprietor. But first, let's go back to the sad events of June 10, 2020, and the glorious life of Bella Thales. Listen to her best friend at Cherry Creek High, Gabrielle Decidue. Thank you. My next guest is an illustration that it's a small world, especially in the southeast part of the Denver metro, because I 
met my guest, I think for the first time. I know her family, like and respect them very much, but she's in her early 20s and I had never had the pleasure of really meeting her until we met at a prom picture party where her little sister and my youngest son, they are friends and they were both participating. Gabrielle Desidju, welcome to my podcast. Thanks so much for having me. And it's a small world because you came up to me at the event and told me you listened to the podcast last Saturday and you were best of friends with Isabella Thales, and your commentary on the podcast meant so much to me, Gabby. Oh, well, the podcast meant a lot to me, and I just love hearing Bella's dad speak. He's just such an authentic, real, raw man who wants the truth, and I'm right beside with him fighting for it as well. God bless you for that. Let's tell everybody about your origins. Is it, in fact, in the Southeast Denver metro area? How did you get to know Isabella? Yeah, so Bella and I met at Cherry Creek High School, and she was just such a bright light from day one. Um, Unfortunately, I dealt with a lot of bullying throughout high school, Um, but having Bella in my life really did save me from a lot of depression, and I met her my freshman year at Creek when I transferred into her science class. And she didn't know me from Adam, but she complimented me every day. Um, Always said hi, was always friendly. Sophomore year, we had another class together and got to become a lot closer. And she came to my 16th birthday party, which was a lot of fun and still have videos from that. Um, And then junior year is when we became best, best friends. Um, We became DECA partners, which was really fun. And, She came to New York City with us for my grandpa's 80th birthday. Um, We were inseparable after our first sleepover. And, you know, Bella had a lot of friends. And I'm very thankful that I was one of them and got to experience her presence because she truly saved people um, from very difficult circumstances just with her love and light. And I miss her dearly. Wow. For her to perceive that you were being bullied and come to your rescue, is that the way it happened? Yeah, actually, you know, I would say there was a climatic moment junior year where I was severely depressed from um, extremely cruel bullying. And I called Bella one night and, you know, told her what was happening and was bawling my eyes out. And, you know, she saw me for me. She saw me for my heart. And she made me feel so much better, and she invited me to go to lunch with her group of friends the next day. Um, and finally, I felt included. I felt that I had somebody there for me, um, but I wasn't just this person that, you know. You, you remember Bella as your rescuer, and now with her gone, it's motivating your life. But Bella wasn't just that way with you. There are other people who have dramatically benefited from being with Bella. Tell us what you know about that. Yeah, so, you know, Bella's funeral was just way too difficult to put into words. And, you know, I couldn't put my feelings into words until her best friend, Aubrey, got up there. Um, She had met her at Metro, I believe. And, you know, she just was crying and, you know, said, you know, she saved me. Bella saved me. And that's what Bella did. She saved people. from just, 
these terrible, cruel things that happen in the world. And she was always just going towards, you know, per circumstance. She wanted to listen. You know, she wanted to understand. And, you know, when Aubrey got up on that stage and said that, it made me think, you know, right back to one night junior year when, you know, I was really depressed and, you know, Bella and I were hanging out and I was, you know, crying and not in a great state of mind. And, you know, she hugged me and, and she prayed for me and she really eased my depression in that moment. So I could really relate to Aubrey and Bella had so many friends because she was such a light. And I'm so glad that as many people as possible got to experience her. Let's think back to better times a year ago because uh, she had just turned 21, uh, May, June 2020. Mm-hmm. The pandemic was settling in, and that's a time you really need your friends. I imagine during the start of the pandemic, I mean, did you guys keep in right. touch? You both went off to college, and uh, were you in touch? W- what was your life like? Let's start with you, Gabby. What was your life like uh, this time last year? Oh, wow. (laughs) This time last year, the world fell apart and I was nothing short of overwhelmed. Um, You know, attending a social change university, I am very involved in social issues, Um, you know, got really involved with the homelessness issue in San Diego. And when COVID hit, that was really difficult. I was interning with the Lucky Duck Foundation at the time, which is a homeless organization in San Diego. And um, it was really difficult for us because, you know, there were situations with soup kitchens, with shelter occupancy codes. So I, you know, a year ago was trying to figure out, you know, how to best help the Lucky Duck Foundation navigate things. We ended up, you know, getting the convention center open for homeless, getting, you know, some COVID testing sites out there, um, figuring out, you know, a food delivery program for the unsheltered. And, you know, my boss had me calling, uh, you know, a bunch of places trying to get hand sanitizer, you know, all that good stuff. So I was really occupied, you know, on how this was affecting people. And then, of course, you know, we started to see a mental health crisis um, arise and suicide rates skyrocket um, amongst young, vulnerable minds. So that was very difficult. And I was really, you know, praying during that time, um, you know, for every human being in a world that just got flipped upside down. Right. And you were in what, your second year of college this time last year or your third? You go to San Diego, which is the social justice uh, atmosphere Mm -hmm. at a university that you're speaking about? Yeah, so this time last year, I was a junior. Um, Now I'm a senior and I'll be taking a fifth year in the fall um, because I have a double minor um, and one major. So I got to finish that up with an extra year. But yeah, my university has really, really inspired me and just changed my whole perception of life. And, you know, I actually, after my first year of college, um, you know, Bella came and helped me unpack my suitcase and all the clothes I had. And, you know, we got to catch up and stuff. And she told me about, you know, all the new friends she had made, you know, after high school. And, you know, I was so happy for her. And, you know, I told her how I was very passionate about, you know, reforming this Um, system that we have in society that clearly is not working. And, you know, we really need to start looking out for people and getting resources out there. Um, And, you know, obviously, I didn't have this elaborate plan, but Bella was very proud of me and her jaw dropped. And she said, that'll be really fun for you. Um, And she was really excited for me. 
she also, um, during my freshman year of college, I got to spend my birthday with her, which was really nice. Uh, my birthday's on New Year's, so uh, we took a party bus down to Decca Dance, and she was a part of that, which was really great. And, you know, she was a part of my birthdays, you know, the years before as well. So um, that was nice to, you know, reconnect. And unfortunately, you know, um, a couple weeks before Bella's passing, we had another classmate of ours at Cherry Creek um, get murdered. So um, her and I were speaking about that at that point in time and, you know, messaging each other. And, you know, that was the last time I did speak to her. And, you know, I never expected that to be the last time. And, you know, I was prepared to, you know, speak to her again in the future. So um, I never got that opportunity. And here we are mourning, you know, the murder of someone else, me and Bella. And we never knew she would be next, you know. Um, we never knew that that would happen to her. And, of course, you know, our, our high school community really rallied, you know, after an individual who was friends with Bella and I um, was stabbed and killed in just a horrific oh. incident. And, you know, Bella and I were speaking about it. Um, and I just, I never um, in that moment, of course, could have, predicted what happened and obviously. Let's talk for a minute about the DECA competition because my Mm -hmm. son Sam is a state champion and I still can't necessarily describe it as well as he could or you can. Tell everybody what the DECA program at Cherry Creek is and since you and Bella were partners, what were her strengths and if she had any, were there any weaknesses? Yeah, you know, so DECA, the the cool thing about DECA is it's a very, you know, like individualized thing where you can kind of see like what area of business speaks to you. Um, And you're able to kind of just come up with these business plans that are super hypothetical, but it's definitely, you know, planning you for the real world. Um, And, you know, Bella and I, when we were partners, we kind of picked, you know, the fashion industry, of course. Um, I remember our first project that we did together was on Tom Ford. Bella and I love designer clothes, (laughs) so we were all for that, and, you know, we went to competitions together as partners, and I remember Bella was just so, you know, I would kind of come up with the idea and be like, all right, how does this sound, and then she was so great kind of just putting it into words and, like, organizing it, being like, well, you say this, you say that, and then my favorite part is she would always have the best idea for the ending because, you know, we always had to make that last impression favorable, so... She would always come up with a grand ending, you know, to show that we are the best. And, you know, we did we did really well together. Um, you know, we were like twin sisters. <laughs> we looked very similar. And it was it was a blast, you know, just we went to Colorado Springs together and, you know, got to go to the um, tournament up there and spend some time together, you know, room together in the same hotel room and, it was just nothing short of amazing. Um, and, you know, it breaks my heart because I look back on the pictures of us at DECA tournaments and I remember, you know, Bella and I always talking about when we would actually be real businesswomen, you know, when we'd graduate college and start our own businesses. And I could tell that both Bella and I had this entrepreneurial drive in us, you know, where Bella was very good at, you know, working nine to five jobs and, you know, she worked so many jobs, but I could definitely see that, you know, she wanted to start her own things and 
she had a lot of potential. So I think, you know, the hardest thing looking back on those pictures is seeing that, you know, girl who was so eager and hopeful, you know, for a future in business and had these amazing ideas. Tell us what her future business plans were. What were her dreams and aspirations, if you know? You know, I was studying finance, I believe, at Metro. And, you know, she went to New York um, at LIM. And, you know, I freshman year, she was very involved in the fashion world, freshman year of college. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, Bella is the type of person who is just like living and learning. Um, and, you know, I'm not exactly sure what she exactly had in mind, but I totally saw her opening up her own fashion line, opening up her own store. I have always seen her just doing something on her own, um, you know, working from the bottom up. And I definitely know that she was so involved in fashion and then, you know, taking a finance business major as well, really wanting to bring those together and, you know, create a great business. Um, that she could succeed with. And I'm sure, you know, other people know more about the exact aspirations she had in mind, but I do know from our time together that she really wanted to create something. And I know a little about you from speaking the other <laughs> night and we've communicated since then that social justice stuff has really gotten to you and you've identified some problems in society that you would like to address one of them you talked about was mental health, but you've also mm -hmm. become part of Moms Demand Action. Tell everybody what inspired you to do that. Yeah, so mental health advocacy and gun violence prevention are definitely very close to my heart. And, you know, gun violence prevention was always a very difficult thing for me. I never wanted to touch the issue. I cared so much, but I knew I couldn't touch it because there was nothing I could do. And I felt so hopeless and, you know, frustrated. And in my morality and justice class sophomore year of college, you know, we had a gun debate and, you know, we were reading moral philosophy on, you know, the concept of weapons and in, in society. And, you know, I became very, very disturbed by it all. Um, and I realized that I wasn't educated enough on the issue. And that same semester, I, I took a crime and inequality class where a representative from Moms Demand Action came and spoke with us about the nonprofits, you know, working within that sector to end gun violence. And, you know, of course, she brought up Sandy Hook Promise and the opportunity to become a promise leader. And I immediately jumped at that opportunity because I remembered Sandy Hook and I remembered, you know, how much it affected me and my family to just be aware of that reality and so I, you know, immediately got in contact with Sandy Hook, um, got in contact with their promise leader coordinator, Judith. And before you know it, I, by the end of the semester, was, you know, doing an action research project on uh, mental health resources for schools to implement um, in collaboration with Sandy Hook Promise. And, you know, they have a lot of programs in schools like, you know, start with hello and say something. And so kind of innovating those programs and piggybacking on them and, you know, seeing what else we can do and what else we can bring into schools. Um, and, you know, the thing with gun violence for me is, you know, awareness is, is the most important part. And sometimes you feel so powerless, but by educating yourself and being aware of what's really going on, um, you know, is the first step. And so I recognize that. And, you know, as somebody who struggles, you know, with mental health challenges, I, 
really grow up, grew up after high school, you know, to recognize that, okay, I struggle, but so do a lot of other people. And we all have our own stories. And sometimes our external behavior is not a reflection of, you know, our internalization of, you know, what we're feeling. And so I became very passionate about mental health. And, you know, for me, I kept seeing all the gun arguments, you know, self-defense, you know, these weapons providing self-defense to individuals. And I always just kept thinking, you know, yeah, of course, individuals want to defend themselves just like any other person. Um, but what, but when are we going to defend society, you know, as a whole, when are we going to implement change in society where we are defending all individuals and there's no such thing as self-defense? You know, it's society defense. Um, right. Yeah. So I became very passionate about changing society, um, you know, to go towards a place where mental well-being is is a top priority. Um, and there's more resources out there and there's more prevention and, you know, more awareness. And, you know, we see mental health institutionalization um, and we see that it is failing individuals and that individuals are coming out of mental health, you know, hospitals worse off and feeling like an outsider to society. And it's almost like a prison for them. And, you know, especially young minds, you know, children, you know, being put in facilities like lockdown, you know, we saw the effects of, you know, an actual lockdown with COVID, you know, let alone being locked down into a hospital unit right. with some people strapped to their beds. So, you know, we um, went and toured Children's Hospital's mental health facility because they expressed that they wanted to renovate it and they wanted to innovate a way to make it a heartwarming, cheerful, colorful environment. And so we went and made a grant to that facility. And one of the cool things is that they're, you know, coming up with ways where parents can stay with their kids so that it's not so much isolation. Um, we're also kind of working on implementing um, group therapy programs in there, um, you know, to try to get more peer-to-peer -peer counseling so that people know that there's people, you know, in the outside world who have been through it, you know, who know what you're going through and are always there for you. And it was really a joy to, you know, see that Children's Hospital is stepping up and is recognizing that institutionalization needs to be reformed. And maybe we don't even call it mental health institutionalization, you know. God bless you for that. And what I know about you is that you not only have the passion to deal with the intersection of mental health and uh, firearm violence in America. But you also uh, know some things about nonprofit work and foundations. And when you say you are going to do something about it, um, you have resources both in your energy and your uh, knowledge field and capacities to do that. So God bless you. And you started all of this well before the tragedy that befell Isabella Joy Thales. That awful yeah. day, June 10, 2020, the anniversary is coming up. I'm sure you are mm -hmm. dreading it. But my goodness, Gabby, for you to be involved in the intersection of mental health and firearms, and then to have this awful man who is going through some kind of mental break shoot your... Mm -hmm. Bella, my God, you must have thought about that a lot. I mean, after that happened, my life has changed. I can't even recall the person I was before that because I've completely transformed into 
a new being and a new perception. And, you know, life hits you hard and things happen. And June 10th, I'm, I'm just sitting on the patio with my mom, my boyfriend, one of our family friends having, you know, some nice glasses of wine, enjoying a nice summer night. Um, and then I looked down at my phone uh, from a message from my sister who was at a party and heard what happened to Bella. Um, and, you know, she, she texted me and told me that Bella had been shot and killed. And I, um, I was like, that's not true. What? Like, no, you, like I, 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 I didn't want to believe it. Um, and I, you know, there's a difference between knowing that something happened and then actually allowing your body to feel the pain and the anguish from it because it just destroyed me. And all I remember is screaming, not Bella, not Bella, not Bella, not her, not her, has to be, not her, not her. Um, and it was her. And, you know, she was identified eventually and it all became very real. You know, we went to the vigil the next day and, um, Felt like I was going to be sick walking around the corner to see where her life was lost. And if anything, I was just very heartwarmed to see so many people there um, because it just showcased many people knew her and loved her and how many she touched, affected. And, you know, it was great to, you know, get to know her friends that I had never met, you know, who she met after high school and get to know the effects that she had on their lives as well. And, you know, we were able to share a lot of great memories and reflect on, you know, what she meant to us. We understand in the immediate aftermath that law enforcement maybe isn't forthcoming with all that much information. But now we know that the perpetrator was caught that same day. It's a slam dunk case. He was caught with the weaponry in his vehicle all this large capacity magazines that are illegal in Colorado. Yet there are questions about how he acquired that weaponry and the ammunition. Tell us your thoughts about yeah. that and what you've been waiting for. Yeah, you know, it's um it's very disturbing to see, you know, these weapons out there for sure. Um, you know, and I don't think I'm educated enough on guns and, you know, how they work. I kind of just figured out what magazines are and stuff because I'm not a fan um, of guns and I don't really enjoy learning about how they work. Um, but once I learned it was an AK-47, you know, I started to understand what that meant um, and, you know, what that weapon entailed. And um, I was horrified. I was, I, I was horrified. And, you know, of course you're thinking, okay, how did this guy get the gun, right? You know, where did he go buy it? You know, that's what you're thinking. Or, you know, did he go to the underground market? And then you find out, you know, it, it came from a police officer. It was registered to the Denver police officer. And that was shocking to me. I was, I was shocked. And I have no way of knowing, you know, how that officer stored his gun, you know, how much access, you know, this guy, uh, Michael Close, had to his home where his guns were. You know, I have no way of really knowing the facts. However, I think... Bella's family needs transparency and needs to understand what really happened here because it all doesn't really make sense to me. It all doesn't really add up. And all I can rely on is the facts and I can't assume anything at this point. And I think, um, you know, stealing an AK 47, um, 
a big weapon like that, you know, I'd be interested to understand how it was stolen from um, this officer without his knowledge. I'd like to, you know, understand the actual, you know, how did you not know? How did you not know your gun was missing? You know, was he in your house without you there? You know, kind of just how did that happen? Because I know a lot of responsible gun owners, you know, store their guns safely, um, are very aware if they're missing, um, would definitely report it stolen if it's missing right away um, because they don't want it getting in the hands of somebody who will harm other people. Um, and so I'm just, you know, very confused on, you know, how this officer um, was able to be a sensible law-abiding gun owner, you know, while at the same time, somehow, some way, you know, one of his best friends um, got a hold of, of his weapon. And, you know, we allow friends in our house all the time and, you know, we give them things, not weapons, you know, but, you know, things, things happen when people come into our homes and, you know, Bella came to my home once and was like, can I take this dress? Of course, Bella, it looks better on you, right? So, I don't really understand what happened and it's very frustrating because I think that there needs to be accountability taken. And at the same time, you know, my heart just breaks for Josh and the rest of the Dallas family because they're sitting here scratching their heads a year later. How did this weapon get in this man's hands? And the narrative out there is that it was stolen and that's it. That's literally all that we're being told is it was stolen. And then I believe you probably know better than me that it was reported stolen. I mean, 10 plus days after Bella's passing. Um, so it's just all the facts are very confusing for my logic, you know, to really add up what happened. And so, you know, everything is alleged at this point. And I, you know, cannot speak for this Denver police officer because I do not know the exact circumstances that took place. Um, but I do know that this family is hurting and that it would be very, very moral of him um, if he was more transparent. And it broke my heart, Josh, on your last podcast, you know, say that he just wants answers from this guy because is that so much to ask? I don't think it is, you know, and I just want to understand, you know, how weapons are, you know, getting into the hands of murderers. And we really need to understand transparently how is this happening? Because, you know, guns are getting in the hands of people in many different ways. And if we are going to end gun violence, you know, we need to understand how are these people obtaining weapons? That is so well put. And we've been told this narrative that the gun was stolen from Sergeant Dan Politica. I broke it on my podcast last week. I told the families earlier that I learned that Politica was gone. And this week, Westward had a story, and they confirmed it. Thank you, Michael Roberts. Nine News had a story. Thank you, Nine News, Jeremy Hohola. KDBR, Fox 31, had confirmation that Politica has left his job. Thank you, Jeremy Hubbard. This is not just a matter, right, this is not just Mm -hmm. something that matters to the friends and family of Bella and Mm -hmm. Darian, but the whole community was impacted. You talked about the people at the vigil, and I'm in this business. There's no reason for them not to tell the family the truth and the community the truth. It won't mess up the trial. This I can tell you. Yeah, that. 
Yeah, and I did see, you know, I, I read the Westward piece and, you know, I was very heartwarmed to see that, that you sent me them. Um, and, you know, it is very confusing because I did read, you know, the statement from uh, the police officer's lawyer. And I believe that, you know, they they had no comment because there's still an ongoing criminal investigation. And, you know, to what you're saying, I, I was a little confused how that would affect this um, criminal investigation when Dan Politica is not being criminally investigated. Um, so I was confused why that was an excuse. Um, but of course, you know, you being the lawyer, <laughs> you know a lot well, more than I do. Well, it is confusing. <laughs> and I've never been a state legislator, but these guys passed a law in the name of Isabella, who was an yes. angel on earth. And I support the law. I assume you do. If somebody's gun goes missing or is stolen, they have an obligation to report it. It's a mandatory report situation or there are criminal consequences. And mm -hmm. while we may be grateful that the law was named in Bella's honor, is it based on a true or a false premise in this case where she was murdered? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question that, you know, we we need to be asking. And I think anything done in Bella's honor, I will 100 percent support and, you know, sensible gun violence legislation I will support. And of course, we need to, you know, account for weapons and make sure they're not getting into the wrong hands. So, you know, I support, you know, reporting stolen firearms, of course. Um, but however, you know, when you name um, something the Isabella Joy Salas Act and attach her name to it, what's pretty much happening is you're solidifying the narrative that it was stolen. And then it's as if no one can question it anymore because there's an act in her honor about it, you know? Um, and it was kind of uncomfortable because I was really happy to see this act passed. At the same time, I was like, well, does this mean that we're still not going to get answers that we don't have? And I still wanted to see answers. And I think there's many types of gun legislation that can be passed in Bella's honor, you know, not just a stolen weapon. And I believe that by, you know, putting that policy out there, um, you're kind of, I guess, saying that Dan Politica is 100% correct, 100% telling the truth, it was definitely stolen. And you're kind of giving him, you know, this opportunity to, you know, stick with that narrative and kind of just, you know, hide in the corner and, you know, not really come forward and, you know, be transparent about what happened because there's an act named, named in her honor and, and that's it for him. So I think, you know, the act does set a premise that's a little false um, because there is still no actual undeniable fact that it was stolen. It's right. completely alleged. This is what he claims and there's really no proof of it. Um, so I believe that, you know, we definitely still need answers and we can't just let this act be the end of it. I agree. And the facts are out there. And here's the neat thing about going to law school. If you use the law correctly through good questions and other forms of discovery, you can determine the truth. And I mm -hmm. am duty bound as Darian Simon's lawyer to get at that truth. And I'm working with Josh Maximon, who represents Joshua Thales. He wants yes. the truth. And God bless you, Gabby. You want the truth. And you want to honor Bella. Your life was changed by Bella for the positive and then the tragedy. What are your yes. plans for the future with regard to honoring Bella? 
you know, I, um, I want to spend my entire life getting justice for her because she saved people and she can continue saving people from above. I, I, I truly, truly believe that. Um, and you know, there are so many young lives taken too soon from this earth. Um, that is just so heartbreaking. And, you know, I kept thinking of how can I honor Bella, but how at the same time, can I help her family, you know, find ways to honor her? Because that's the most important part is her family is left with a hole forever. And they need something that can honor her to the highest degree. I've done a lot of work with uh, the Nick Bales BTR Foundation, and BTR stands for Brought to Reality. And Nick Bales is a very popular kid in the Arapahoe High School community. Um, almost like a thousand kids at his funeral. He unfortunately um, passed away from depression. Um, spell, spell, spell the name of the young man and the foundation named after him, so everybody can look it up. Yeah. So Nick, um, N I C K. And then Bales is B-A-L-E-S. And then BTR stands for Brought to Reality. So if you just type in and Google Nick Bales BTR, it will definitely pop right up there. And it's BroughtToReality.com. So long story short, I, um, I became very close with the Bales family. Um, Will and Maria Bales are like second parents to me. And you know, they are in the profession of saving lives in honor of their son. He started this clothing line um, in an effort to raise awareness, you know, towards mental health, but also how to stay grounded, you know, in reality throughout these really difficult challenges in life. And so he created this amazing clothing, clothing brand, and his parents started a foundation where now all of the proceeds from the clothing sales go towards his foundation that funds unconventional mental health therapies because BTR wants to redirect the conversation about mental health and recognize that the current remedies we have obviously aren't working. And, you know, therapy obviously did not work for Nick. And that's why they are exploring unconventional therapies like music therapy, art therapy, horse therapy, you know, all types of therapies, therapies that people didn't even recognize before. Um, and, you know, now we're working together to try to get a BTR focus group together um, try to get that into Children's Hospital. And, you know, we have a lot of plans in the works. But, you know, I recognize that Josh and his girlfriend, Tiffany, um, would really benefit from meeting with Maria and Will. So I set up a meeting with them and, you know, came in a couple hours into the meeting. And they had decided all on their own um, to create a Bella Joy collection uh, with BTR. So that's something that is happening in the immediate future. Um, we are going to launch that this summer. And, you know, we have a design in the works. Uh, Bella and I's friend, she, she did Deco with us also. She has her own art business, and she's just beyond talented. So her and I have been working on a logo, and she has been doing so much great work on that. And so... You know, we're intending to create this uh, collection and raise awareness um, about Bella, you know, through the BTR platform, which is very well known. And, you know, Nick and Bella were different people and, you know, they didn't know each other, but they were both such bright lights in these worlds where there are so many anecdotes and instances where both Nick and Bella literally saved people from the worst depression of their lives. 
Um, and then we're both taken way too soon from a form of evil, although in different ways. And so I was just so heartwarmed to hear that, you know, the phalluses and the bales um, had this connection and were able to establish this connection. And so, you know, we're really excited because I'm going to be working with Josh, the rest of the family to figure out, you know, where the proceeds from Bella's collection will go. And, you know, like I said, although she has passed and, you know, she did save my life and many other people's life, she can continue doing so. Um, and so we're hoping, you know, to explore programs um, that we can donate to in her honor that are, you know, human programs that help human beings, um, just like she helps human beings. Um, you know, Josh has talked about scholarship funds. Um, a lot of ideas are out there. And we really are looking forward to, you know, starting this platform for Bella where, you know, we kind of navigate, you know, what is best, you know, to give funds in her honor for and, you know, hopefully long-term, eventually, you know, starting a foundation or a nonprofit, you know, for her and her name, you know, obviously it's very difficult to start a foundation or a nonprofit. So, you know, BTR has been gracious enough to let the Thalysis fundraise under their tax code. Um, and I know that Josh is about, you know, creating change and, you know, getting things done and, you know, using our resources and, you know, one of my favorite quotes from him is, you know, great people working together accomplish great things and, you know, just good human beings working with other good human beings um, will really create something beautiful. So, you know, I'm hoping to find programs that, you know, speak to Bella's spirit and find ways that, you know, human beings can still be touched with her light. I am very impressed by Joshua Thales and by you, Gabby. You are incredible, and you are going to accomplish so much in your life. And Bella, even though she's gone, she influenced you, and it sounds like you want to spread that influence, and that's wonderful. And it's a long life for most of us, and who knows what this world is all about. It takes some faith, and I hear about Sandy Hook, and a lot of people on our side of the gun control debate, which is, hey, we're in mutually assured destruction with so much weaponry, so many mental health difficulties. We have to do something. And people say, well, look, if we did not do it after Sandy Hook, then we will never do it. But a lot of us are still feeling Sandy Hook. And Sandy Hook is part of it. And Bella is part of it and a number of other things, and hopefully America will wake up and we will have less of these tragedies. But, Gabby, I have hope for the future because of bright young people like you. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Say whatever you want to the people who are friends of Bella who might be listening. Well, to all of Bella's friends, I, you know, I do know how much you miss her and I hope that, you know, the memories stay close to your heart. And I know the pictures are setting, starting to run out, um, you know, because we lost so many, so many years with her. Um, but I hope those pictures and memories stay close to your heart. And I, I hope that, you know, you feel her spirit with you daily. Um, you know, I look to the clouds and I try to feel her. Um, I listen to her SoundCloud music all the time and I feel her in the car with me. And so I hope that you all find ways where you can still be connected to Bella and you could still feel her love and feel her presence. 
um, because it's just unbelievable that she was taken. And I hope that all of you can, you know, get on board with what we have planned and, you know, get involved because this is going to take a lot of people and not one person can change the world. We need a lot of collective community engagement with these issues. And it has been very moving to see the city of Denver, you know, come together in honor of Isabella and then, you know, also see, you know, our high school class, you know, come back together um, and, you know, sadly mourn this death. So I really hope to all Bella's friends that you feel her spirit daily and that, you know, she's guiding you and that you're praying to her and have faith that you'll see her again one day. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you, you did. Great honor to you, friend Bella. Thank you. Let me tell you what we do and we don't do at Springer and Steinberg. We do almost everything. We do not do end of life planning. That's Michael Bailey. But for all your other legal needs, give me a call. 303-861-2800. I look forward to speaking with you. Michael Bailey, you've been a lawyer for a decade and a half. I have that beat because I'm a lot older, but you and I have something in common. Uh, We both pride ourselves on being good attorneys, and I've shared with you a little list I have, 20 ways to be a good lawyer. Do you want to go through a few of these right now, and we'll keep going on future talks? What about number one, behave yourself? What does that mean to you? I mean, there's a whole slew of things that you can do as an attorney that are unbecoming or unseemly. You know, whether you break the ethical rules or if you just do things that are a little bit sneaky and underhanded, there's no need to do that. You do it the right way. You do it above board. And they need a steady, reliable person like you. Give out your contact information. Sure. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. That's how you get a hold of me. I mean, my my website is michaelbaileylawllc.com. And again, that's michaelbaileylawllc.com. You can get a hold of me that way too. If you want to keep following this story, then please subscribe on whatever podcast medium by which you acquire this sound and then leave a positive review. More than anything, push the podcast to your friends. Let them listen. Thank you. David Gunders, our troubadour. Good to see you, my friend. How are you this evening? Always good to see you, Craig. I'm great. Thank you. You gave us such a beautiful song this week, and... I've got you down as an artist. I mean, you paint a picture with this song that uh, I think people have to hear it three or four times to appreciate just how deep it is. It's called On and On Her Way. Am I right? Doesn't this song have different layers? Well, the song is, is about loss. And in that respect, yes, there are different layers. Mm-hmm. Well, you paint a picture in a classic Dave Gunders style, 
and we know that it's usually earthly elements, but quite often I've noticed there's reference to a bird. And why not? Uh, we're, we're, we're always inspired by the birds. I know we are when we take our walks and I put down a couple of feathers. Can you identify both those feathers? I can, and if I can't, I can probably fool you. <laughs> you could fool me, but what are they? Well, there's a hawk. Yes. That's a hawk. And this, this is a red one, and I would say that's a hawk. So two hawks. Yes. Maybe it's a different part of his body that it came from. No, it could Beautiful. be two different hawks. I, I found it. One of them you were with me when we found it. Mm -hmm. That's right. And it was kind of like in I golf when I saw it and you were closer. I said, what is that? And you looked, you said a hawk feather. Now, is possession nine-tenths of the law or he who saw it first gets it? Well, luckily that didn't come up for debate because I gave it to you. I know. <laughs> you probably have a lot of them, but thank you. And we talked about that. Eagle nest collapsed at Stanley Lake. Wasn't that a tragedy? And we thought maybe the parents did not build a good nest. Tell everybody what happened. Well, you told me the story yesterday, and you said the nest had fallen out of the tree. And at that point, I was disappointed in the, in the eagle's, you know, his engineering prowess. But turns out, as you sent me, as I found out in this article you sent me, the, the cottonwood had split. The tree had fallen. You have to wonder, was that something the parents could have seen, or was it lightning? Was it a latent defect? I don't know. I don't want to assign blame. They're in mourning for their child. Can you imagine? You go hunting, you come back, your house is gone, your nest. No. Terrible. But you were giving me some uplifting news about hummingbirds. What were you telling me about hummingbirds today? Well, I was going to ask you if you knew how many times, well, actually two interesting facts I'd like, I'd like you to weigh in on. Please. So one, one is how many times do they, do their wings rotate? Actually, they don't flap, they rotate. How many times um, a second? Twelve. It's a pretty good guess. I'm not going to say you're wrong because I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> what was the other fact you forgot? The speed of their heartbeat. And How many times that? a minute? I'll go with uh, 12,000. 1,300 times a minute, which I calculated. Oh, I'm at 1,200. I, okay. I, I put the comma All right, 1,200 is a good. So right. that's, that comes to 20 times a second. Okay, I did my calculation. 20 times a second. That's a fast little heart. That is a fast heart. And birds are fun to think about. But in the context of this song, it's sort of sad. It's a bird that's flying away, and we had a sad show last week, but very impactful. I know it moved you, and you heard Josh Thales talk about Isabella, his beautiful daughter, gone too soon. I've got a kid graduating Cherry Creek, and there was Bella, the age my Benny, my older son. She was a star student at Cherry Creek, um, won state championships, Father had two beautiful daughters. Now he's got one. It was heartbreaking. I think he deserves answers, don't you? He does, yeah, and it was heartbreaking. But I hope it was important because if we forget about Bella and what happened, then what hope do we have right now? Am no. I right? And I do think about Isabella 
And uh, for that reason, um, when you when you asked that I submit a song that might um, honor her memory, I, I came uh, I came up with this one. And I think I know why. I think I remember when you wrote this. I could be wrong, but you're singing about lost love, but not romantic kind of love. Something stronger, right? Between parent and child. Am I right? That's right. What inspired you to write this? Actually, song? the loss of my mother. Right. So, and I, you know, I listened to the song before I uh, thought I would recommend it here for the show today, um, and I was, and I, and I realized that the song can also. Um, apply to to what happened to to uh, to Isabella and her family. Right, and your mom never wanted to see you cry as a grown man, and so there's a line in the song about that. And right. I'm sure Bella did not want to see her father Josh cry. Nobody likes to see their parent cry, but this is a sad situation and the perfect sad song with so much meaning because in the end there's a little hope. There's a rainbow, and who knows, you know, when we might meet again. And is that one of your beautiful daughters singing background toward the end of the song? It is. That's Sarah. Oh, my gosh. She's like an angel as well. And the picture that you paint of a human body and how love flows like blood through veins, touching every part of you. Listen to this song, folks. This is our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Thank you. On behalf of Bella and her family, and on behalf of Darian Simons, thank you for this song. Thank you, Craig. Turn to her light And she will show me the way you move 
Colorado Hawks. This is a good program helping kids, underprivileged kids, kids with dreams of playing sports, kids who could use help to go to college. The Colorado Hawks produce high-level athletes in boys and girls basketball and girls soccer. The program prides itself on keeping kids off the streets, helping underprivileged youth earn opportunities they might not get otherwise. Most importantly, the Colorado Hawks produce an affordable program that has never turned an athlete away due to expense. The Hawks love Nikola Jokic, just like we do, and currently have a t-shirt selling fundraiser with 100% of the proceeds going right back into this program. Head to Jokic for MVP, or if it's easier to spell, and it is Joker for MVP, J-O-K-E-R for MVP, get a great high quality shirt that says, you guessed it, Jokic for MVP and help a great organization at the same time. Let's come together to support a program that has helped to provide so many opportunities for Colorado's young people. That's Yo Kitch for MVP to buy a shirt with all proceeds going to the Colorado Hawks organization. Thank you. If I had to guess, that's one of the biggest topics that must come up in your practice. How can I provide for my kid's education, my grandchild's education? And aren't there some tax benefits to doing it certain ways and not others? There can be. Depending on how you structure a trust, you can get a tax break on your taxes now. You can get a tax break on any estate tax in the future. So let's say that Donald Sturm has $2 billion, which I don't know if he, how much he's worth now. You know, a lot. But let's say he's got $2 billion, and he decides to donate all $2 billion to some sort of charities, whether it be the University of Denver School of Law or something like that. Well, if you have, you know, the estate tax limit is $11.7 million. So anything above $11 million would be taxed as an estate. So that would mean if he's got $2 billion and, you know, 40% state tax, there's something like, you know, $800 million worth of estate tax. He says, well, I don't want to pay that. So I'm going to donate all of it to charitable causes. Well, a donation to a charitable cause is going to be exempt from the estate tax. So then he wouldn't have to pay any estate tax. You know, I don't know if he's that charitably minded. And there's, there's certainly a lot of other sophisticated techniques to use to get around estate taxes, but if you're charitably inclined, 
certainly can give you quite a tax break, either from an estate tax perspective or an income tax perspective, depending on how you structure things. It's all about planning. That's why I'm so glad I discovered you, Michael, and I get nothing but great feedback. I feel good about sending people your way because it means they can check that off their box of what needs to be done, and they need a steady, reliable person like you. Give out your contact information one more time. Sure. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. That's how you get a hold of me. I mean, my my website is michaelbaileylawllc.com. And again, that's michaelbaileylawllc.com. You can get a hold of me that way too. Now, back to The Craig Silverman Show. I don't want to live in a city that ignores a murder like Bella Thales. We can't just move past that. We have to find out the truth. This show dedicated to finding out that truth. Of course, I represent Darian Simon, who was grievously wounded in the same shooting. And we are not giving up, and we will want to keep this in the public eye because through that, we can acquire the truth. I broke the news that Sergeant Politica had left the Denver Police Department, and it was confirmed by Westward. Thank you, Michael Roberts at Westward. What a great story you wrote, summarizing what we talked about. He also spoke with Josh Maxmon, our lawyer guest in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge last week, the attorney for Joshua Thales. We will do everything in our power to advance that story, and thank you, Nine News, Jeremy Hohola, and the whole crew over there, Steve Steger, thank you for your story on May 15, 2021, talking about the podcast and the news that we had broken. Isabella Thales' father calls the moment he learned that his daughter was killed a nightmare he can't wake up from. Joshua Thales spoke about his daughter's murder on Craig Silverman's podcast this morning. Isabella was shot and killed in Denver's ballpark neighborhood last June. The man charged with her murder is accused of shooting her with a rifle that belonged to a Denver police sergeant. Investigators say the sergeant was the suspect's friend and that he took the rifle from his home without the officer knowing. Joshua Thales still wants answers. The knowledge out of this case is to hopefully bring our community and human beings together so this doesn't happen again. You know, we just want to know, know the, the whys and what went on. And that's all we're looking for is just, just the truth. Thales says information from Denver police has been scarce since day one. Isabella's boyfriend, Darian Simon, was also shot and survived. Craig Silverman, the podcast host, who's also a lawyer, he's representing Simon. And then thank you, KDVR, Fox 31, Jeremy Hubbard. He's a terrific anchor, won a lot of awards. They put on information about the murder of Bella and the confirmation that Sergeant Politica had exited DPD. Let's get the real answers as to why. Here's the Fox 31 story from May 19th. 
New tonight at 10, a Denver police officer whose stolen gun was used in the murder of a 21-year-old woman has resigned. Isabella Thales, of course, killed last June in Denver while walking her dog with her boyfriend. The gun used in the shooting was reportedly stolen from a Denver police sergeant. That man, Sergeant Dan Politica, submitted his resignation on February 13th and left the department a month later, according to documents obtained by Fox 31. Thales' family says that resignation raises even more questions about the relationship between the suspect, Michael Close, and Sergeant Politica, and more questions about how exactly that gun ended up in Close's apartment. If there was no wrongdoings, why should he leave his job, not a job, why should he leave his career and hire a private counsel? Those dropped huge red flags yet again of, of what the heck is going on. Michael Close is charged with murder and has pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. And then thanks once again to Nine News for following up on the Politica story. I can't believe that the Denver Post and other major media outlets has that they've not yet reported the fact that Sergeant Politica, the guy who's AK-47 and apparently ammunition was used to kill Bella Thales, that's not a story when he leaves the police department? I think it is. BPD shared Sergeant Politica's resignation letter, effective March 13th. It offers no details about why the sergeant resigned, but reads, I appreciate the opportunity to work in this incredible line of work and with the best people I've ever met. A DPD spokesman says there was not an active internal affairs investigation against Politica before he resigned, nor was there a criminal investigation. Nine News called the office of an attorney representing Politica. A woman who answered the phone said they will not be talking about this case. Politica owned the AK-47 used to kill Isabella Thales last June. A friend of the former officer, Michael Close, is charged with her murder. In January, DPD told us Close took the gun from the officer's home without his knowledge or permission. DPD said when Politica learned the rifle was missing and may have been used in the murder, he notified investigators. We've asked from day one, you know, how this weapon became part of what's gone on. Thales' father says their family is frustrated with prosecutors and police waiting for answers to questions they still have nearly one year later. How the weapon was obtained, what, what, how that played into this case, you know, Dan Politica's role and, and how close he was with Michael Close and, and what that looks like. Thales's family helped pass a new law in Colorado bearing her name, requiring gun owners to report lost or stolen weapons within five days. Yet this young lady has a law in place and we don't know the backstory of what what has happened. Jennifer Meckles, Nine News. Michael Close faces 22 charges in Isabella's death. He pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity and he'll have a mental health evaluation. Let's do remember Bella Thales, the daughter of Joshua Thales and Anna Thales, who spoke about her baby girl at a funeral. No parent should ever have to bury their child. Let's get the truth about the killing of Bella. Born in Rose Hospital, just as I was, just as my kids were, my heart goes out to the Thales family. Let's get truth. We can't get justice. We can't bring Bella back. But let's find out the truth about the mystery of that AK-47. All the truth, please. Thank you for listening. Isabella, Isabella Joy Thales was, was born on June 8, 1999 at Rose, at Rose Medical, Medical Center, Center in Denver, Colorado. Colorado. I, named I named Isabella, Isabella, Isabella after a after queen. A queen, queen 
And her name name also means means dedicated dedicated to God. God. Her middle name name is Joy. Joy. I chose chose that middle name name. so that she would bring bring joy joy to the people people in her life. life. And now now, I see see, it is evident evident that she did. She She fulfilled fulfilled that. that. Wow. I graduated CU Law School in 1981. And now here it is, 2021. I'm coming up on 40 years. It's flown by. I keep learning. But I know things. And I'm available to be your lawyer. I have a great law firm behind me. Springer and Steinberg. We do it all. 303-861-2800. 303-861-2800. I look forward to speaking with you. Every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Colorado time, I publish a new podcast. Get it straight right then to your smartphone. Please subscribe. Thank you. Welcome. Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Lori B., Craig S., how are you? Good, Craig. How are you? I'm wonderful. It's so good to talk to you again. Thanks for doing my podcast. It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. It's been a while. It has, but you are a return visitor to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. You've been in there several times. It's a collegial place where prominent lawyers come to relax, tell war stories, and kick around current events. And the reason you have been in the lounge so often is you are smart. You have a perspective I don't, living on the East Coast, being a big shot lawyer in the Big Apple. Tell everybody about your background. Uh, I was a finance attorney for 30 years. I worked at some very large international law firms and uh, in Midtown Manhattan, I was based. And about two or three years ago, I just started questioning whether or not I wanted to be practicing law full time as I head into the second stage of my life. While I was practicing law, I was also writing on a regular basis for the American Thinker. Um, My children actually for Mother's Day this year gave me a, they had a, sort of a collage made that looks like an Israeli flag, but it actually is every article that I've ever written for the American Thinker. And we all looked back and said, wow, I didn't realize how many articles I've actually written. It was an amazing present, meant the world to me because it shows also that my kids support my work, support the decisions I've made. And many of the articles that I've written for the American Thinker relate to foreign policy and are pro-Israel in nature. And um, as I was winding down my law practice, I was becoming more active in pro-Israel matters. I'm the New York chapter president of the Endowment for Middle East Truth, as well as a board member. I'm the treasurer and a board member of Scholars for Peace in the Middle East. And for the past uh, eight months or so, I've served as the chair of the American Zionist Movement's anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism and Holocaust denial uh, project. So I'm quite busy now in the pro-Israel world, and given what's going on in the world, uh, I've been, you know, quite active and, and and quite busy. So it's it's been a crazy time for quite a while, and it's certainly ramped up over the past several weeks. 
your organization, Emet. Tell us more about that, because I love the word. Emet in the Hebrew means truth. Give us what it stands for again. It's the Endowment for Middle East Truth. We are a Washington, D.C.-based think tank. We are nonpartisan. We work with members um, of Congress, and uh, we, we're with working with their staffers on a daily basis. Of course, everything is done remotely now since COVID, but uh, before that, uh, Sarah Stern, our president, who is also the founder of Amet, was on the Hill every day, pounding the doorsteps of Congress people, working with them on, on various pieces of legislation that were pro-Israel, including the anti-BDS legislation, the Anti-Semitism Awareness Act, uh, the Taylor Force Act. We were critically involved with the passage of the Taylor Force Act, which was signed into law by President Trump. Um, and we're, we are just uh, unabashedly pro-Israel, pro-America. We work uh, for, for those who, who do understand the importance of Israel to the United States as our most important ally in the Middle East, uh, we, we are integrally tied together, Israel and the U.S., and what is good for Israel is good for, for America as well and our national security. And, and at Emmett, we understand that and we work towards ensuring that policies that are passed are pro-America, pro-Israel. I love that. And I love the word Emmet. I mean, had you thought about that word a lot before you worked for the organization? Doesn't it mean truth in Hebrew? It does. It does. And it's it's such an important um, part of our work because, as we all know, there's very, you know, the, the truth is is what is in the the eyes of the beholder these days. There is There is no truth, whether it's in the news media, whether it's coming out of the mouths of Hollywood stars who don't know what they're talking about, or whether it's coming out of Congress people's mouths, like many of the Democrats these days who just um, are, are making things up. And so we need to bring truth to the narrative. We need, we need to bring facts. You know, we're in an age of cancel culture, critical race theory. People are just making things up as they go. And it's very scary to watch America in general domestically, but certainly on um, for, from my vantage point as somebody who works on pro-Israel matters, it's becoming quite scary that lies seem to be taking hold while the truth, you know, is trying to catch up. And it's, it's very scary. It is. But as a lawyer, a trial lawyer, I think the truth is out there. And we can find the truth. Now, you get to a concept like justice, you know, what's just, what's fair in the Middle East. People can argue about justice, but a lot of times, especially when death is involved, and my God, we've had too much death this past week, you're not going to get justice when somebody's life is taken, but you are entitled to the truth about it. And I'm thinking about that in the context of some of my cases here in Denver, but I just wanted to get into that with you. I mean, the truth is out there. Am I right? And do you agree that justice is a little more nebulous? Like, what's just for a, a 10-year-old boy growing up in the Gaza Strip right now? Well, I, I, I think that um, justice is, is something that for the Palestinians that are living in the Middle East more generally, not just in Gaza— for for Arabs, you know, they, they they don't have the freedoms that we have in the United States. And so when you watch Americans take the side of terrorists or take the side of people who support terrorists, who 
are violating the human rights of their citizens. I mean, you know, Israel gave Gaza back to the Palestinians in 2005, and um, they left behind greenhouses and, you know, millions of dollars of, of, of infrastructure that the, the Palestinians could have built a, a beautiful land. And instead, the um, terrorists, the Hamas, was voted into power and has remained in power. And the human rights of every single um, Arab citizen living in Gaza is is up to you know what what Hamas decides to do with the with the international aid. They're not they're not giving it to in, to humanitarian causes. They're they're building terror tunnels. You are you are preaching to the choir on this, Lori B, because Hamas is a terrible organization. They're a bunch of Jew haters. And that was the sentiment that caused the Palestinians uh, in Gaza to destroy those greenhouses, which Jews left behind to benefit them. But they didn't want anything Jewish and they don't want Jewish people in that part of the world. And you cannot deal with Hamas. But the most disturbing part of what's happened the last week is the internal problems in Israel. And in America, frankly, uh, what do you do with this uh, Israeli on Israeli violence that we saw the last 11 days? It's I have a lot of family in Israel and many of whom live just minutes from Lod. And that Lod was like the the center, the the, the mayor felt like he was reliving Kristallnacht with the destruction of synagogues and fires and and attacks physical attacks um and murders of you know attempted murders of of jewish um israelis who had once you know the, the mayor the mayor actually made the point that we i think it was the mayor that said 70 years of us living in peace of progression of evolution of arabs and and and, and jews living side by side was just completely upended in a matter of hours um, and the clock has been turned back. And I think that the, the the family that I've spoken to and the people that I've spoken to in Israel are actually way more concerned about the relationship um, among Jews and Arabs living within Israel than the, you know, unfortunately, I think that I don't think you ever get used to the barrage of, of missiles. And certainly this time around was something that, that we haven't seen in quite a long time, 4,000 missiles in a very short time. But um, but the, the the ability to live side by side is is something that I, I think is going to be a struggle going forward in, in Israel. And it's and it's a real problem. And as you bring up that it's, it's happening here in the U.S. Within the past 24 hours, there have been a number of violent incidents in New York City. These are things that have been happening for a while. It, it, happened, it actually predates um, the, the Gaza war. I have a friend who was physically assaulted in New York City twice within a four-month period because he wears a, a Jewish star necklace, um, and he was able to defend himself. But the the um, assault on Jews in in the U.S. is something that American Jews seem to be sleeping through, and we need to wake them up that we have a, a serious problem here in the U.S. as well. It's not just in Israel, and they can sit back comfortably in their living rooms right now and think that this isn't going to touch them. But the streets, you know, in, in L.A., there were people dining at a sushi restaurant that were attacked. Palestinians, you know, were, were well, firing I, I, right. Let's let's stop at L.A. for a second because that. My wife at breakfast this morning posed this question as we watched 
They went up to diners at a sushi restaurant and said, who's Jewish? And they tried to identify the Jewish patrons. And have you ever contemplated anything like that? My wife asked, well, what would we do? What would we say? I don't know. What would, tell us, Lori. Um, you know, it's it, that's a that's a difficult thing to contemplate. I I anybody that knows me knows that I don't shy away from controversy. At the same time, I would never want to put myself or my family in harm's way. And we are we are seriously confronting something that we never have before. I I actually um, purchased a shotgun during uh, uh, several months ago when I started to feel unsafe from the Black Lives Matters protests. And I think that, again, I'm going back to American Jews a lot on this conversation because it's something that I am very frustrated over. We American Jews are being attacked by all sides of the political spectrum, but they're solely focused on the right. They're not focused on the left. And these attacks are coming from people on the left. The, the violence that we saw in, in L.A. and Are You Jewish? College students have been experiencing that for years and years and years. One of, you know, with my position at Scholars for Peace in the Middle East, I'm very focused on what's going on in our college campuses. And students have been physically assaulted, spit upon, Yamaka's torn from their head, you know, bullied, intimidated, and silenced on college campuses. And now they're taking that off of the campus and they're moving it into our city streets. And it did start with Black Lives Matters with the signs, and it was at the Women's March, and it was at Occupy Wall Street, and it's with all, within all these leftist movements. And you know, intersectionality basically says that you know everybody is is working together against racism except the one form of racism that's acceptable is anti-semitism and jews are not included in our in our in our our organizations and um jews are going to be outcasts and jews are going to be pushed aside and i think that american jews don't realize that their voices are being minimized we have never seen a congress that has been this emboldened with their outspoken anti-Semitism. And we now have a president who has embraced it for, uh, uh, not Obama, excuse me, Biden. Um, I, I keep thinking Obama because I do believe that Obama is actually running this administration, but President Biden um, embraced Rashida Tlaib. He called her Rashid several times. We're not surprised though with, with that because he fumbles a lot. But um, Rashida Tlaib got eight minutes of his time Eight minutes. Why would he stand there and listening to her berate him for eight minutes is my question. But putting that aside, he then took to the microphones and embraced this raging, terrorist-supporting anti-Semite and called her a, a courageous fighter. And don't worry, we're going to protect your grandmom in Palestine. I, it was the most nauseating display I think I've ever seen. Oh. It was bad enough that, that Pelosi you know, embraced the squad elevated Ilhan Omar, another terrorist supporting anti-Semite, to the Foreign Affairs Committee. But, you know, these these women, these hated, hateful, hateful women and, and men, because there's a, a number of Democrat um, Democrats who are men who also are, are anti-Israel, um, are, are, you know, they're calling for the for the termination of funding of, of Israel. I mean, when, when you look at our, our, I, our I, I got it. And I give you the point that there are people in the Democrat Party who are more pro-Palestinian than pro-Israeli. And you've identified Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. And I agree with you, but they did not back Joe Biden during the election. Joe Biden went against their guy, Bernie Sanders, who 
Israel probably would be in a lot of trouble if Bernie was in charge. But Joe Biden prevailed, and he put as his top guy, his chief of staff, Ron Klain, who's as Hamish a guy as any Jew I've ever met. He's an Ashkenazi Jew raised like you and me. And then they've got Anthony Blinken as Secretary of State. So even if he was nice to Rashida Tlaib when he was in her home state, I think it's okay to care about her Palestinian grandmother. And when you say that's the most outrageous thing you've seen, did you see Marjorie Taylor Greene on the podium with Donald Trump in Georgia in January? I mean, come on. I, I, anyway, it's collegial here. I Just respond on Joe Biden. I, I, I don't think all that criticism of him is well taken. I think he let Israel uh, play out this latest conflict. He did not drop the hammer on them. And I like that. I think he was good to Israel. So how do you Kept respond? Going. I, I'm I'm sorry. I I think you, I might have lost the signal there for a minute. But okay. I started to say, Craig, that um, that I I have to disagree with you on the on the number of fronts. Um, first of all, Biden did drop the hammer on Israel, and the only reason why we have a ceasefire today is because of of the pressure that that Biden put on BB to end the fighting. Um, the world is looking at this as a Palestinian victory and an Israeli loss. This is not good for Israeli morale. It's not good for Israel militarily. Um, and and if, if Donald Trump was in office, number one, this never would have happened. It didn't happen for the four years that Donald Trump was in office. And there's a reason why, um, as, as Mike Pence wrote in the National Review this past week, that for four years there was quiet. But um, he wrote that this week, Biden replaced strength with weakness, moral clarity with confusion, and loyalty with betrayal. So I would argue that just because Biden has a couple token Jews in his administration does not at all mean that he is a friend of Israel. We had a president who was the best friend of Israel that we could ever in our wildest dreams imagine, whether it whether it's the recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital and moving our embassy there, the recognition of Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, ignoring uh, the horrific Obama-Biden UN Resolution 2334, whether it was the defunding of UNRWA, closing the PLO mission in D.C., um, withdrawing from the JCPOA, which, as you know, I fought very hard for, signing the Taylor Force Act, which prohibits American funding. We, we talked about Taylor Force. And, so I, it, and I, I, Lori, I support Taylor Force was a kid who served, he went to West Point, he was in graduate school, he was taking a class in Israel, he went out to dinner, and a terrorist stabbed him to death because they thought he was an Israeli Jew. Do I have that right? He, he, he was not an Israeli Jew, and you are correct, he was actually right, a, in a, America. A, an Iraqi vet. When he was an Iraqi vet, and we actually, Emmett honored um, his parents at our last Rays of Light in the Darkness dinner in Washington, D.C., just before COVID. His parents are beautiful people. Stuart Force is very outspoken. And, the, you know, part of the problem, Craig, is that the Taylor Force Act prohibits the funding of the PA as long as they 
continue their pay to slay policy, which is that right. we will pay you to kill Jews. And they did not discontinue it. There's also a, a bill in place that prohibits the funding of the PA if the Palestinians support an ISIS in International Crim Criminal Court um, investigation, which they have done. So there's two bases on which the U.S. should not be funding the PA. What did Biden do when he came back into office? He immediately reversed the Trump policy and sent $200 million to the Palestinians. So, okay, uh, okay, you know, okay. You know what? And, and, and I appreciate that truth, and I do accept that, and it may be contributing to things, but when you say that Ron Klain and Tony Blinken are tokens in probably the two top positions that there are. So, 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 Craig, let's acknowledge something. We had we had Jerry Kushner, who spent his years negotiating a proposed peace plan for the Palestinians, the Israelis that they presented. And that was ignored. That was just poo pooed. And then we've got the Abraham Accords with four Arab countries that nor have normalized and peaceful relationships with Israel under Jared Kushner. Um, Friedman and Trump's watch. Now, what we what we have is Biden's um, press secretary, Jen Psaki, who says, ah, Abraham Accords, they're dead. They're, they were dead on arrival. We've got uh, the team of Blinken, Sullivan, Rice, Power, Kerry, Malley, who am I forgetting, um, that were all the Obama, you know, pro-Iranian people back in. But on top of them, what makes this administration thousand times worse than Obama's are the other anti-Semites that he's added to that crew. And Jared Kushner was replaced by Hedy Amar. Hedy Amar is a pro-Hamas, meaning pro-terrorist, pro-Palestinian, now the Israeli-Palestinian envoy to the U.S. Some of the things that have come out of Hedy Amar's mouth would make you cringe. And he is the guy, since we don't, since Biden has not appointed a, a U.S. ambassador to Israel yet, he is the guy that is over there negotiating a ceasefire between terrorists and the Democrat and, and peaceful, loving, innocent Israelis. I mean, Hedy Omar was, in, he, he says, I was inspired by the Palestinian Intifada. Um, he said, I have news for every, every Israeli that, um, I'm looking for the quotes on my computer. Some of the things that came out of his mouth have, have just been horrific. He's unbelievably anti-Israel. And this is who Jared Kushner was replaced with. So, yeah, I do think that, that you, just because you have a couple Jews in your administration doesn't mean that you're pro-Israel. Merrick Garland were, is attorney general. What do you think of Merrick Garland? I, I, he scares he scares me. I Why? don't think he's the moderate because I don't think he's the moderate that everybody said he was. And I don't think he's going to be anything like Phil Barr. Do, do you I agree? Would well, you agree with me that uh, when you're talking about Jewish people, uh, we're talking about Merrick Garland's a proud Jew. Ron Klain's a proud Jew. Tony, would you say that Chuck Schumer is a, is a proud Jew? Yes, I would. And where is Chuck Schumer's voice these days? Chuck Schumer is an Israeli advocate, but, you know, backing Israel doesn't mean that you have to love Bibi Netanyahu. And you know what? I love he he no, can I just Israel. Can I just tell you it's kind of a it's a love affair of mine gone bad, if you don't mind me just pouring my guts out to you. I was there in the House chamber when Bibi Netanyahu gave that speech to the joint session. That Joe Biden boycotted. So let's throw that in against him. Jared Polis was good enough to invite me. He was a congressman then. And I loved this speech. I loved what Bibi had to say. 
I was against the Iranian nuke deal. I think that the people who run Iran are a bunch of Jew haters, and I can't stand that. But I have a different feeling about Bibi because my old man, he used to say there are two kinds of people in the world, people on the take and people who are honest and practicing law. We get to witness a lot of that. And I used to think Bibi was upstanding and all that, but then I see all the charges against him. And then I worry not just about him being on the take, but Jared Kushner and and uh, the Trump family. And it gets his love. Affair, no, so I'm just saying that I've fallen out of love with Bibi Netanyahu can you put it back together for me? Should I be out of love or any uh, of so, these? Are uh, any of so these yes, points? Yes. Do any? Yes. Of, does any of this resonate with you? So I'll tell you what resonates with me. What resonates with me is that you're worried about Jerry Kushner and the Trumps when you when we know for a fact that Hunter Biden and 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 Joe Biden and his brother and his sister and what other family members we we haven't heard about yet have have been on the take. For their entire lives. Okay, we know that as a fact, except that the problem is that everybody is so focused on hating Trump that they can't get past their front nose. And if you want the truth, the truth is the Bidens are the most disgusting, corrupt family there is. And yet everybody ignored it because they just wanted to get rid of Trump and they didn't care about Israel and they didn't care about anti-Semitism. They just cared about their Trump derangement syndrome. And I have a big problem with Jews that are so blinded by the hate of Trump that they couldn't even see what was in their best interest. And here we are about to throw another hundreds of billions, God knows what, how much money at the Iranians so that they can continue to fund Hamas, so that Hamas can continue to send rockets into Israel, killing innocent Jews, and so that we can give Iran a nuclear weapon. And that's all this administration cares about. And if you think that they're going to be tough on China, guess what? They're not because they can't, because they've been in bed with China. So if you want to talk about corruption, we can look in the United States, in the Oval Office right now, before we start worrying about BB. And you're a lawyer, Craig, and you know damn well that you are innocent until proven guilty. And I will not convict BB Netanyahu of anything because he has he has kept Israelis safe. And there is a reason why he's still around. And Israelis know it. And thank God for BB Netanyahu. That's all I have to say on that subject. I love that response. And let's turn from Israel to something I care about even more. I love Israel, but I love America. I'm an American. Mm -hmm. January 6th bothered the hell out of me. What about you? Uh, you know, again, I think that we're coming at this from two different vantage points, Craig. I don't suffer, and I never did suffer from Trump derangement syndrome. You know that I wrote an article that was not supportive of Trump when he was still a candidate. And I was on your show talking about it many years ago. But what when 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 he was elected, I kept an open mind and I hoped and prayed that he was going to be a successful um, president, both for the country and for Israel. As we know, I've shared Israel is very important to me. Um, he far exceeded my expectations. I don't blame him on January 6th any more than the quote. And again, we talked about this on another show. The quote about Charlottesville was a lie. I think that there are things that, that Trump has said that have been taken out of, out of context and that people want to blame January 6th 
on him. January 6th was bad. Where were all the people when the Wisconsin um, State House was was taken over by Antifa folks several years ago? Where were all the people screaming and yelling when businesses were being burned all summer? People were being attacked all summer by Black Lives Matters. You know, people pick and choose what offends them and how horrible it is. I mean, this was, yeah, it was January 6th bad. Was it a, an ugly statement on um, on America? Yeah, but but did it, did, in my view, did it warrant this commission and, and let's hold an investigation so that we can make Trump look even worse than we already made him look with his two fake impeachments? I mean, I, you know, I, it, it's like, I think it's it was bad, but what's happening in our country now, you want to talk about our country, what's happening now with the Black Lives Matters protests, with the 1619 Project, with critical race theory being indoctrinating kids K through 12, with cancel culture, where people are losing their jobs, with corporate America, Silicon Valley, and everybody colluding to shut down free speech, to indoctrinate Americans to believe that we were founded in 1619 so that we could all be a bunch of slave-owning racists? What is going on in this country? You want to worry about something? Let's worry about the things that matter. Where is the future of this country? Can we save it? Or is this the beginning of the end? Because I personally think it's the beginning of the end. And if we still, if we focus on the minutia instead of the big things that we need to change, and we vote for these 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 progressive, crazy whack jobs and put them in office. Our our Department of Education is now controlled by people that are going to fund, give federal funds to schools that teach critical race theory. Guess what? If you don't indoctrinate your kids in kindergarten, you're not going to get federal funds for education. We used to have Betsy DeVos and we used to have the um, executive order that Trump signed that protected Jewish students on college campuses. We used to have a, a, a um, an education department that protected innocent men on campuses who were accused of rape and, and, and allowed them to have due process rights to face their accusers. That's being reversed now. Boys on campus, watch out. Any girl can accuse you of anything after she wakes up the next morning and regrets it, and you do not get due process. So I'm sorry, we have a lot of issues to be worried about in this country. January 6th, in my view, it's time to move on. Wow. What an answer. And I, I think that, in a way, you didn't really want to talk about January 6th because you moved to campus accusations of sex assault. And with all due respect, I don't live in Wisconsin, and neither do you. But the U.S. Capitol is really important to me because I was there for that BB speech. I've been there other times broadcasting. I, I broadcast from the White House, then went to the Capitol the next day. I've had experiences in the U.S. Capitol, and your group Emmett lobbies in the Capitol, and you know the importance I'm of that building. I'm in the Capitol building. quite often. Right, I'm in the Capitol and quite so often. it's not just another building. This was not just another protest. This was a plan to disrupt America. It was an insurrection by the Proud Boys and by the Oath Keepers. And it, it for was, you to it, be in bed with the likes of of people who Donald Trump won't disclaim, and, and it really comes down to the big lie. And I don't know where you stand on that. You're a little different than when we spoke before. Maybe that's a mark of the time. You probably say, Craig, you're different. But let's you are talk. Different, Craig. I, I know, but, but what about the big lie that, uh, I, and as a Jew, I don't use those two words lightly with the capital B and the capital L. But it's like Germany, where they said the Jews stabbed us in the back. We really won World War One. 
it was a rigged job. And I saw Donald Trump even before the election say the only way I can lose is if it's rigged. And then you know what followed. That scares me. That scares me. Does it scare you as an American, as a lawyer? Tell us. So so to compare this to Germany pre-World War II, I think is a shocking comparison, Craig. So yeah, I do think that you changed because I don't think that you would have said that um, several years ago, um, especially especially as as a Jew. Um, the the incidents I, I I said the incidents of January six um, do not have me concerned the way you do. It, it is the people's house. Um, and the people should be able to go into it. And it's time for the fencing, for the Democrats to take the fencing down and stop using it as a tool to manipulate the minds of Americans. I don't know if you've been to D.C. since. I have. I actually went down for the election. Um, and, I, and, I, and I've been down a couple times and I've seen the fence. And, and it's a disgrace that um, the Democrats, I think, are continuing to use January 6th as a tool to manipulate public opinion. When Trump is gone finally gone, they're not going to know what to do with themselves. There's going to be nobody for them to demonize. When, when will that be? When will Trump be gone and you and I can get I, along I, I better? Hope, I, 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 <laughs> um, I, Craig, honestly, this is. I, I, I'm glad you admitted that and you and I can get along better because I, I've never had a problem with, um, as, I, as I said, we, even when Barack Obama was elected, I supported him and recognized him as my president. Donald Trump was elected and the resistance began even before he, he won. But there was, the people were in the streets the day he won. You want to talk let, about let, people? I, that, let's wait, talk let me about, finish. Let's Craig, talk no, let about, me finish. I know, but Craig, let's let talk about you and me, not the people. No, Craig, you, because, Craig, all right, Craig, go ahead. Craig, you go asked ahead. me a question. You go asked ahead. me a question yes, about my concerns and my concerns about about so i'm going to address your question about whether i'm concerned about trump questioning the results of the election and i'm taking it back to the fact that the resistance started the day that donald trump won and there was half of this country that refused to accept the fact that donald trump was president of the united states and that he won in a free and fair election i do not believe that our elections are going to be free and fair going forward i am scared to death about this um the, the uh, voting rights bill that's making its way through Congress right now that has passed the House that will take away autonomy on voting rules from the states and will put it in the hands of Democrats. We will never see a Republican win office ever again if they can get this thing in place. I, I You want to talk about what I'm scared of? I'm scared of the Voting Rights Act. I am not scared of, of a of a president questioning whether the election was fair by taking it to court, by taking it to the people. I see what what happened on January 6th. Yeah, it was it was ugly. Guess what? We had four years of ugly. We had four years of Democrats, including Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and others saying on the record that that Donald Trump was illegitimately elected, that he was not a legitimate president of the United States. That is scary to me. Well, I voted for him. I got disappointed at Charlottesville. I heard the facts of what he did to Zelensky. I don't like racism. And let's stop right there because you were good enough to acknowledge what I think has always been true, that as Jews, we get it from the left and the right. The danger is there. And there is danger on the left. And at times in my life, it's been ascendant, and you argue it as now. But there is racism on the right, too. 
And would you acknowledge, just as an intellectual starting point, that uh, the Nazis, even though they were called National Socialists, they were they were on the right. They were fighting the commies. And when it comes to left versus right, that threat grew out of the right. Correct. Correct. The KKK started on is was with were Democrats. Okay, that was that was well, left. In today, Colorado, in Colorado, and we've covered this on my show, they were Democrats and Republicans. One of the only Klan governors in American history was Clarence Morley in Colorado in the twenties, and he was a Republican. But I give you so your I'm point. Going back, I'm going Robert back to the founding Bird, of the KKK. Right, but, but traditionally. It, it it comes from the South. It was Southern Democrats. It was George Wallace. It was all those uh, Dixiecrats, right? And they were affiliated with the Democrats. But I would argue that the, that group of voters has moved to Donald Trump's side and that he supports the people like the Groypers and their mama, Michelle Malkin, who lives in Colorado, and there's racism out there. Would you agree there's anti-Semitism and they're one and the same racism and anti-Semitism? Are they the same thing in your mind? Are, are they both evil? So so let me let me um, I, I speak uh, about anti-Semitism. I've spoken at the U.N. on the rise of global anti-Semitism. I've spoken on the Hill and I've given speeches to various groups. And I, and of course, and I, and I said it earlier, and you recognize that I said it earlier, that there's anti-Semitism on the left, on the right. There's anti-Semitism among um, the black community. There is anti-Semitism um, among the Muslim community, and Islamists are some of the worst anti-Semites. Anti-Semitism is coming at us from the Me Too movement. It's coming at us from all over the place. What I what I share with people when I go through the various types of anti-Semitism is, in my personal opinion, and based on what I live, eat, and breathe, and what I see in my research, is that while the anti-Semitism on the right is very scary, and yes, there's, is, is, there are physical assaults and, and violence on, on the uh, from anti-Semites on the right. It's, it's more insidious and scarier to me on the left because not only is it violent on, on the left, as we've seen with, with blacks attacking Jews across New York City, for instance, but and, and Muslims attacking Jews on college campuses, for instance, um, it, it's, it's, it's more insidious because it's going at um, ideology, indoctrination, and brainwashing because the anti-Semitism on the left on our college campuses is is at the faculty level, it's at the student level, and some of it's even at the administrative level, although I do believe that administrators have no idea what's happening and, and don't even know how to begin to address it. But the but, but faculty in, in humanities, you know, in, in liberal arts, other than the sciences, other than the STEM subjects, are, are raging, some of them are raging anti-Semites, and, and others are just, you know, supporting Hamas. We've got letters from Princeton, we've got letters from Harvard faculty, we've got letters from all these people supporting Hamas over, over Israelis. And I think that as Jews, if we don't understand that our kids are being indoctrinated now, not just on college campuses, but in K through 12, if we don't understand that on social media, every type of hate is banned except for Jew hatred, and that social media is controlled by the left, if we don't understand what's happening in terms of ideology and, and, and the takeover of the Democrat Party by a bunch of anti-Semites who are now 
not just embraced, but lifted up to high positions by, that, that, that are pro-Hamas, anti-Israel, anti-Semites, then we, we, we are in serious trouble as Jews in this country. So do, would I be scared if I was approaching a bunch of white supremacists down the street? Yeah, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wave to them and embrace them. But I got to tell you, Craig, I'm much more scared walking down the street, seeing a, a, a gang of black thugs coming at me because I know they're going to pull the Jewish star off my neck and God knows do worse because it's happened to a friend of mine twice. And, and it's very, very scary to me because the left is controlling minds. The right might be doing some bad things, but the left is controlling minds and they've taken over some of our major institutions, the media. There's a reason why journalism isn't reporting the facts on the ground, the truth, as we started this conversation with, because the media are all a bunch of leftists. Journal There's no such thing as journalism anymore. Maddie Friedman wrote a great column on this um, back in, in at the, during the last Hamas in, incursion on on why the media just makes up stuff. I mean, it's it's right. really quite scary. So, I yeah, I'm more frightened by the anti-Semitism on the left than I am the right. You know who is another smart, conservative female lawyer? Liz Cheney. And I bet if I would have asked you during our last conversation, how do you like Liz Cheney? You would have said a lot. Would you still say that? And what what's up with the Republican Party where Liz Cheney needs to be demoted like that? So... Um... I can tell you a personal story about Liz Cheney because I know her, but uh, but I'll start with your your last question first. Um, the, when I talk about a big lie or the the truth being covered up by, I don't know, the left, um, Liz Cheney was not did not lose her position um, as the third in line, or you know the the third most powerful Republican in the House because she voted to impeach Trump. In fact, um, McCarthy, Leader McCarthy defended her after she voted to to impeach Trump, and she held on to her position. The reason why she lost her position is because she wasn't doing her job. Her job is to was to and that the job that that um, Elise Stefanak will, will have going forward is to ensure that Republicans win elections and that Republicans message and that Republicans message correctly about what is happening with the Democrat Party and the Biden administration. Liz Cheney was so blinded by her Trump derangement syndrome that she wasn't doing her job. So it was months after she voted to impeach Trump that she couldn't stop talking about Trump and what a danger she, he is to the country rather than the Biden administration and, and what the Biden administration is doing to the country with inflation. Right, she, with it. She, she and her colleagues were victims of a crime. They were coming after those people, and I bet those Trumpsters who invaded— What are you basing that on? What, what am I basing? That they came and victimized the people in the Congress who had to barricade themselves behind what doors? What does that have to do with your question about Liz Cheney? Be, because she, she was her. a sitting uh, congressperson. She's entitled to her opinion that January 6th was a big deal. But and we're not talking about January 6th anymore, correct? But I'm talking, talking about, about she was ousted. Uh, But I'm talking about that if anybody on the Republican side— dares to say we need to talk about January 6th, get to the bottom of what Donald Trump knew when he knew it, et cetera, 
then they get exiled from the party and Donald Trump. Right, that's is, not why. That's not. You want to talk Do, about the truth? That's not Do, why she was exiled. That's not why she was exiled. Then Donald right? Trump turned thumbs down on uh, Liz Cheney, and doesn't Donald Trump control the party now? Kevin McCarthy, who's changed his tune, it, it's the Donald Trump party, and you say, "Well, he'll uh, be I gone." Mean, all, I, he's got kids. All. I don't see him loosening his grip in any way, shape, or form. And you know what, Craig? It's so interesting to me because we talk about whether we've, you know, I've changed, you changed. You, you would never have voted for this Biden administration knowing that it was going to be Obama 3.0 years ago. But because you hate Trump so much, you allowed yourself to vote for Obama 3.0. The Craig Silverman that I spoke to numerous times before was appalled by the Obama policies that we're now seeing on steroids under Biden. So uh, honestly, like I, 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 I understand that you despise Trump. I no, get no, it. No, you see, I, that's about the eighth time that you've done that, and you write. I, I love your writing, by the way. Everybody, check out Lori B. Regan, L A U R I B R E G A N, because you are a great writer. And I remember when you were accused of having Trump derangement syndrome and all of that, but now. You label everybody who wants to bring up January 6th as Trump derangement syndrome. And I'm saying it's no, I love America. I love the Capitol. I can't believe that happened. And it was organized. I understand you saying that. But Liz Cheney, she said the truth. She said, Emmett, she said, this guy called the mob. He provoked the mob. He sat there quiet while they were attacking people in the so Capitol. Craig, Craig, so she laid truth. it up perfectly. But Craig, number one, that's not the truth. And there are quotes of, of Trump. He did not he did not organize the mob. He told them to go peacefully to the Capitol. He used the word peaceful. Okay. One so time. I, so, you're smarter Craig, than that, Lori. Craig, Come on. Craig, you're smarter. You're smarter than this, too. You're making you're making a massive deal out of this. And you asked me a question about Liz Cheney and why she was ousted. And then you're coming back to January 6th. Let's take it one at a time. Country? You said, did he summon the mob? Did he tell people to show up on January 6th? Did he tweet it was going to be wild? He, he has rallies all the time. Craig, I did not join this call with you, quite honestly, to debate January 6th. And I and I and it's, it's, it's there are, as we discussed, there are a lot of really important things going on in the world today, both domestically and on a foreign policy level. And I'm happy to talk about any of those. But I think it's time to move on. From All right, January let's 6th. do move on. Let's do move on. What's the future of the world? What's the future of the Jewish people? And how about America, the country we love? I'm very, very concerned. I think we're living through. I'm, I'm a pessimist. I'm, I'm, I'm not usually a pessimist, but in the case of the future of America, um, I am very, very concerned that um, I look at the people who are elected to power, and I, and I, and I find it frightening that um, 80 million Americans were willing to vote for a senile old man who we knew was going to be Obama 3.0. That we have Nancy Pelosi in power. That we have. Um, Chuck Schumer, who is no Schumer, who did not open his mouth over the past two weeks to defend Israel, not once. Um, we've got the people that are very outspoken, like the squad members um, who are on the rise. We are going as Jews to be outnumbered by Muslims by 2040. If we think our voices are becoming less and less important today, just imagine 20 years from now how our voices and our votes don't matter whatsoever. Um, 
We've got Western civilization that is in decline um, in this country in particular. I mean, even France said, we don't want any of that critical race nonsense. Don't bring that over to us. And, and yet, you know, we've got Americans, 80 million of them, who voted for it. And it's now being, you know, indoctrinated in kindergartners to, to, to hate themselves for being white. If you're white, go stand in a corner, hate yourself, ponder it, figure out how you can, um, I don't know, wash the feet of black people as so many white Americans did during the Black Lives Matters protests. I mean, what are we teaching our kids to get down on their hands and knees and wipe the feet of black people? Will that, will that vindicate us? And how much in reparations are we going to pay? Because we're already now violating our civil rights laws with um, a, a Biden's COVID relief bill that provides funding for black farmers, but not for um, white farmers. And we've got Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, who will only give interviews to black reporters, not white reporters. And so we've got this divide in this country that is only being exacerbated. Um, if, if the, uh, if the, how, if the voting rights bill uh, passes, it, it's probably one of the most dangerous pieces of legislation that's ever been proposed in this country, in my view. Very, very scary. Um, will the Democrats get rid of the filibuster? Will they pack the court? Will they just pack the lower federal courts? Will they do term limits? Whatever they do to the Supreme Court, you know they're going to be playing around with it. Will they make D.C. and Puerto Rico states? I mean, you know, that's four. That's packing. That's called packing the Senate. Um, so I'm extremely concerned. I can't believe that American Jews actually fell for this garbage um, and are, are, are now waking up and saying, oh, my God, I didn't realize that Biden right. was going to be this bad. Like, um, like oh. American Jews in Georgia who voted for Johnny Ossoff and Raphael Warnock over Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. They sold horrible. out the Jewish people by elevating a Jewish man and a black man. I know. I know a very smart well-respected Jewish man in the pro-Israel world who actually said to me that he was excited to to vote for those two anti-Semites. And I know, and, and Ossoff is Jewish, or I should say anti-Zionist, um, because he, he has been outspoken against Israel during this, this, this latest incursion, war, whatever we're going to call it. Um, and um, he, you know, he just was fine and dandy with, you know, having the Democrats control the entire federal government from the Oval Office to the Senate to the House. And who cares if we have one party role and, oh, it'll be good because we're going to get all these social justice, liberal BS policies in place. And it's not going to be great for us Jews. And that's the problem with American Jews is they care more about abortion rights and they care more about social justice issues and climate change and all the things that aren't going to help them survive when push comes to shove and they're being attacked on the streets of New York like they are daily now. Well, I think what will help us all survive is Emmett, Emmett. Let's love truth. Let's love justice, right? And people will decide whether you have changed more or I have changed more. I don't think you would have called Joe Biden a senile old man. That That's one, not nice. And two, I, I watched him yesterday. We're recording this on Friday. Signed that anti-hate legislation. And he was at the top of his game. He was as good as I've ever seen Joe Biden. And you can say, well, Craig, that's not much. But, hey, we're all hopefully going to be his age someday. Donald Trump is almost that age. I heard him talk about the Great Wall he was building on Colorado. 
but I don't think I've ever called him a senile old man. That just seems like a, a right-wing Fox News talking point, and I, I just did not expect it from you. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I believe that Joe Biden is a senile old man, and I'm not saying it to be derogatory. I'm saying it because I believe it to be the truth. Um, putting aside that he, he, you know, his his actual age versus Trump's, Trump worked 24/7, and he barely slept. He didn't. He didn't drink. He doesn't. You know, he he doesn't um, have any vices, and and he he worked his butt off. At, at with Joe Biden, we get a guy who number one was hiding in his basement, which was how he won because all you had to do was 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 run up an anti-Trump campaign as opposed to a right. pro-Biden campaign. People uh -huh. voted against Trump, not for Biden, and and so you didn't. You never heard from him. The the, but, uh, the I'm, well, I'm let me just, finish. Let me just say please, one thing. Sure. So 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 he so you've got a guy. They put the lid on him sometimes at nine a.m. But usually around one one p.m. The reason why he's able to give these speeches is because he's napping and they're giving him his meds. I mean, you know, maybe I'm exaggerating that a little bit, but I do believe that the man is sick. I do believe that he's a, a front, and he was their only hope to get to regain power. I think it's actually cruel what they're doing to him. I mean, some people think that this is elder abuse, what they're doing to him. But the man is not competent. There's a reason why he announced that we are the Biden-Harris administration, not just the Biden administration, which is a very unusual thing to, to do from a president. There's a reason why Kamala Harris was the one who made all of the phone calls to foreign leaders initially. And there's a reason why she hasn't left his side. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, I, I find it very scary that we're going to put this man across the table from Vladimir Putin, um, from, you know, some of these very, from G, President Xi of China. He can't hold a candle to them. He can't get a sentence out without reading it. The guy reads from teleprompters. He doesn't speak off the top of his head. He, he can't. He's not capable of it. And oh, so I, I find I find it scary. That, that's unfortunate. I, I respectfully disagree. And... Uh... I, I just, this is a reflection of the times in which we live. And we could go back and forth on these things, but I hope for the most part I've kept it collegial. That's the point of Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. I know you are bright, you're accomplished. Tell us this, uh, are you out of the city now? Are you afraid to go into Manhattan? Um, as I said earlier, I'm not usually one that cowers in fear. So I have three children who live in Manhattan. Um, and... I would, yeah, I, I go into Manhattan for doctor's appointments. I go into Manhattan for dinners. I sit outside um, on the streets. Would I place myself in harm's way if I knew that there was uh, a, a massive rally of Palestinians looking to kill Jews? No. As a matter of fact, we're in the we're, we're there is a big rally um, in downtown Manhattan on Sunday, a pro-Israel rally, and people are scared to death. There are people that are talking about coming with German shepherds. My group that organized the Stop Around rally is in discussions right now about holding a massive, hopefully hundred thousand person pro-Israel rally in the coming weeks if if we. Um, do decide to move forward, we would only do so if we thought we could actually get that many Jews out. And I hope that Jews aren't scared. But but when you look at the violence from Palestinians or pro-Palestinian people today in the streets of New York, it, it is scary. But we've got we can't we can't cower in fear. When Jews start cowering in fear, we are really heading back to pre-World War II Germany. I mean, that's a real comparison. So we we can't cower in fear. And there's a reason why I know a lot of Jews who are buying guns. Because they couldn't, you know, they, their guns were taken away in pre-World War II Germany. And so, um, 
you know, the, the it, it's important for Jews to stand up and, and make their voices be heard. So I will continue to go into Manhattan. You know, I, I only live a half an hour outside of Manhattan. And I'll continue to to enjoy Manhattan. But it's Manhattan's certainly not the city that it was the last time you and I spoke. Also, you want to talk about something that's changed. It's New York City, thanks to de Blasio and his horrific policies. Well, I'd like to get out there. Maybe we can have a cup of coffee. I appreciate communicating with you and your perspective. And thanks a lot for coming back into Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. My pleasure, Craig. Be well. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at MBLaw LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, now, wasn't that a show? I told you it was going to be good. Thank you, Gabrielle Desidu. You did Bella Thalas proud. We will keep that going. That story is not going away. The truth is out there. And we talked about the truth with Lori B. Regan. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. As usual, our troubadour came through with that emotional song dedicated to Bella Thalas now on and on her way. I hope you'll be back next Saturday. New shows drop 9 a.m. Colorado time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.